Do you just love this podcast so much and wish you could find a way to monetarily support us? Well, guess what? Much like NPR, we thrive on support from viewers like you. So if you love this podcast and you want to become a contributor, all you have to do is go to anchor.fm. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Click the support button and choose the amount that you want to contribute each month to our podcast. This helps keep our podcast going, and it keeps the phenomenal content that you have come to know and love flowing. So yeah, what are you waiting for? Sign up today. As always, thank you so much for being a listener. We appreciate you. We see you. And we hope you enjoy the show. Spoiler alert. If you do not want this film ruined, do not proceed. There's spoilers galore. You have been warned. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me, the classic film podcast and movie club where I, Sarah Greenfield, your host and classic film enthusiast, bring in my entertaining friends to talk about classic movies or any other old-fashioned form of media that strikes my fancy. On today's show, we're talking about the film Sunrise from 1927 with my wonderful guests, Jeremy Guskin and Alan Rickert. Welcome to Talk Classic to Me. I am your host, Sarah Greenfield. And today on the show, I have my wonderful friends, Jeremy Guskin and Alan Rickert. Hello. Thanks for being on the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hello. Yes, our pleasure. (laughs) So today uh, on the show, we watched the film Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans is the official title. I feel like you might know it as just Sunrise. Uh, But from 1927, how was this viewing for you both? I'll go first. He paused. Jer- this I'm is going. Jeremy. Jeremy will um, go first. I'm going first. I liked it. Um, it's it's so weird. I'm going to leave it there because I really want to start going into it. Okay. It's it's great. Alan, how was your viewing this time? Uh, I actually still uh, really love it, but I just love the fact it just seems to like start with a genre, change genres 45 minutes in, and then go back to the first genre, which I kind of, I don't ever see. Okay. My viewing this time was good because this is a very good movie. I can't imagine like not having a good viewing of this. Um, But the reason I chose this film, one, Alan, you had requested this like years ago, I think, like probably two years ago, you'd been like, please, can we watch Sunrise? And this was one of those movies that I was embarrassed because I hadn't seen until more recently. Um, And I know it's like, it's such a famous classic film. Yeah, somehow all the uh, uh, like film history and like film classes I took in college, I just remember you, this was kind of one of the ones I was just like, not expecting like the others, like, you know, uh, Metropolis, Nosferatu, which are still great. You, you, You look at it, you know what you're getting into. This one, again, it was just like, what the what it's wonderful it's a wonderful film um but i was very fortunate in that my first viewing of this film was this past january at the academy museum they have this like really gorgeous theater there so i saw it on 35 millimeter and i had a speaker beforehand who broke down what is so special about this film her name is janine abawal she's a famous production designer i'll tell you all about her later um but it made for like the best possible viewing experience that a person could have. And I completely fell in love with this movie and was like, of course we have to talk about it on the podcast. Of course we do. So we're watching it because it's just like a very special, original classic film. And um, I'm going to give you a plot synopsis for people at home. So this film, Sunrise, Sunrise, A Song of Two Humans, (laughs) is, you know, I'm even going to get out my, um, 
my my movie quote notes because it it's got a title card in the beginning that oh, really yeah. gives I, you a great quote. I I gotta gotta give it up right at the beginning. You know, like those title cards are absolutely fantastic. So gotta give it up for Catherine Hilliker and H H Caldwell who handed who handmade all of the title cards. And fun fact from the the talk, they were hand painted and they were meant to be impressionistic and look like chalk so they could melt away. So for that part with the drowning and oh. it could melts and looks like it's drowning you're like that is so gorgeous it did not have to be this beautiful oh my god also thank you for pulling out those names because i did not write <laughs> names down. So are you, you kidding me i saw those titles and i was <laughs> i was not only are they amazing and hand drawn anything is phenomenal mm-hmm. but it, when i saw the drowning one right i mean yeah. and again perfect phrasing for a german filmmaker <laughs> could she be drowned <laughs> seriously and then have all of the words and have drown. it all actually drown. It was fantastic. Oh, you're like German expressionism at its yeah. finest. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So uh, the plot synopsis, this film is about basically the first title card says, the song of the man and his wife is of no place and every place. You might hear it anywhere at any time. And it goes on. I'm not going to read the next title card, but basically it's like life is pretty much the same. Sometimes it's bitter. Sometimes it's sweet. So it's kind of like this is universal for all people. Right. Uh, But it's the story of a man who used to have this beautiful relationship with his wife. We learn from, you know, the maids that they used to play and laugh together. They have a small child at home. And due to kind of financial hardship and just the bitterness of life, he's become incredibly depressed and he begins to have an affair with the woman from the city. And no one in this film has names. Their names are the man, the wife. It would have been cool if it was like the man and, you know, the woman and she wasn't just the wife, but whatever is the past. And, you know, they didn't do things the same way we do now. Um, And so, yeah, the man starts having an affair with the woman from the city who we're supposed to really dislike because she's a villain, but she looks fabulous. It needs to be said. She looks like she could be in any movie today. Very contemporary, very fierce. I still like her, even though she's terrible. Um, So she's like, you know what? Why don't you leave your farm? And why don't you murder your wife and come live with me in the city? Isn't that a great idea? And at first he's like, no. And then he's like, actually, okay. Well, she, she does present a very convincing argument by kissing him. It's true. That's literally what it takes. He's like, kill my wife. And he starts to strangle her. And you think for her, she'd be like, oh, I'm being strangled. I don't want to be with this person. But then she's like, no, I'm going to I'm going to convince him by smooching on him real hard. And then he's like, yep, one over. If I get to smooch you, we're going to I'm going to kill my wife. I just love passionate kisses back then. It was just like, yeah. <laughs> well, because they push their faces as hard as they can together. There's no tongue, which, you know. That's I'm fine with this. We get that he's he's not in his right mind. And this is a very passionate affair. And we also know that his wife loves him a whole lot from her facial expressions. Oh, Janet Gaynor. Oh, and I should mention, let me jump to the cast. The the man is played by George O'Brien, who looks so contemporary with his like 90s mushroom haircut. So contemporary. And then the wife is played by Janet Gaynor who was the first person ever to win an Academy Award for this performance for Best Actress. Um, And then the woman from the city is played by Margaret Livingston. Okay, so those are our three main players. The plan, basically, that the woman comes up with is you're going to take your wife out on the boat for the day. 
you're going to push her off. She's going to drown, but you're going to have these bull rushes that will help you float. Like you're going to pretend the boat is capsized. You'll have the bull rushes. So you'll survive because they'll float. And then you'll just be like, oh my gosh, we had an accident and my wife died. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yes. And just to interject, for those of you who don't know about botany, bull rushes are akin to bamboo or shoots that are buoyant and will float. But they're like reeds, right? Reeds. Yeah. Yes. Reeds. Yeah. When you bundle them all together, they're hollow. So that's what a bull rush is. Thank you for interjecting for the people at home who might not know. Thank you. You're welcome. Because I didn't know what the hell it was. Yeah. No, we had the visual aid. I didn't right. know. You're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, when the moment comes down to it, he's going to kill his wife. And then like he sees her face and she's like, she understands what's going on. And she's like, please don't kill me. And a bell rings and it snaps him out of it. And he like rows to shore as fast as he can. He's like, oh my God, I can't kill my wife. And when they get to shore, she runs out of the boat and a train magically appears and she jumps on the train and the train is in the forest. It's really fun. And then he jumps on the train too. And they go to the city and (laughs) then they have like a beautiful fun day in the city. And at first she's like, you know, stay away from me. I can't trust you. But he realizes what he has, he was about to do. And he's like, oh God, I don't want to do that. I just want to be with my wife. I really love her. They happen to like walk in on this wedding ceremony and they're saying their vows. And he's just like, oh God, I'm renewing my vows. Please forgive me. I love you. And she does, you know, she does. And they're very cute together. And they just have like a fun romp of a day in the city and they get their photograph taken and they kiss in their photograph. It's very sweet. And then they go to a like carnival festival that's both indoors and outdoors. And there's a Ferris wheel and dancing. And um, it's kind of like magical and fantastic and not real. And there's a pig. (laughs) You know, a pig gets loose and he gets to catch the pig and save the day. And they do a peasant dance for everybody and everybody claps for them and they're in love. And then they leave the city and they go on their boat. And then there's a terrible storm and their boat really does capsize. But he now knows that he does not want to lose his wife because he loves her. So he ties the bulrushes and we all know what those are now. Thanks, Jerry. Yes, He ties the bulrushes to her and, um, and they they get separated in the storm and he like wakes up in a cave a sea cave somehow i don't know he wakes up in a cave she we see her and she's like passed out and she's attached to the bulrushes but they're falling apart so we're like oh no is she going to drown and then we're left to question her fate they go searching for her they find the reeds in the water And there's no her. And they're like, oh, my God, she must have died. And he's so depressed. And he goes home. And the woman from the city's like, ha, 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 you did the job. And he's like, I'm mad at you. And he starts to strangle her um, to kill her. But then he's saved by the fact that people are calling for him because somebody found his wife somewhere else in a different part of the lake. And she's still alive. And so we see the woman from the city leaving town and we watch the sunrise over their sweet little house and she's okay. And she's all angelic and her hair's all down now because it was up the whole movie. But now she she's let her hair down and she's got her baby and her arm and her husband's all there and he loves her. And it's like, oh, a happy family life is good and things can be simple. And that's nice. And this is the end of the film. Um, well so done. yeah, Love you. thank you, thank you. 
Um, I tried to keep the drama in there, especially with the pig. That pig had a whole subplot. Oh, yeah. we're when we get to that drunk pig. I've I've already written a spinoff film for that pig. Was it Babe Pig in the City? Because that's all I could think about. Oh, shit! Did someone do it? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. They did. Yeah, in 1999. What? Yeah. I know, I know. It's a My bummer, right? My script is 320 pages long. Mine's 500, but it's called Gordy. All right, so we're going to talk about what makes this film special and why it's such a classic. I mean, it's a silent film, but something special about it is that it utilizes like sound elements. Not all silent films took sound effects or sound elements and put them in with their like audio track. So for example... When um, the man is calling for his wife, there's a foghorn that comes out as he calls. So even though it's not like there's no sound saying the words that he's saying, it matches his mouth calling. So you get that effect. Um, When the pig is loose in the city, there's a squealing sound. So even though you're not hearing like the crashes of things falling down from where the pig is running loose, you hear the squealing. And then um, you hear bells that line up with the bells in the film. So there's like certain audio cues that they gave us that line up with what we're seeing. So that was like, cool and interesting and new the production design in this film is absolutely insane um it's a german expressionist film which basically means like they're showing us the inner thoughts versus reality they're showing us how things feel visually and when we're in that bavarian village in the beginning i know well i know from what janine abawal told me here let me just tell you what she told me so you can like appreciate everything she said so a lot of the shots in the beginning were shot in forced perspective. So things look like they're, the set looks like it's on a rake, like it's slanted and things are large and small in certain areas, like large in the foreground, small in the background. And it looks like a piece of art. Um, and part of this is because the director, F.W. Murnau, was friends with artists who are part of like the the Bauhaus movement and Der Blue Rider movement in Germany. And it like really resembles a lot of art of the time. But he did that on purpose. And every single set that you see, that was designed for the specific shot. So every every shot, they would build a new set so they could have a certain style and a certain look. And when things look like they're on a slant, they're literally built on a slant, which to me is like just so crazy and wonderful. Um, yeah, they, they had to make sets and chairs for every single shot. And then when they changed angles, they would make a new, <laughs> new set. I just thought that was so cool. It would never happen today. Even when the uh, uh, the woman from the city first like walks out the room with those innkeepers or whatever, and, and, like that table at, at a slant, and like all the angles are like focusing you right to where she's standing, and you just know because of those angles, it's just like this person's up to something. I know it. It's just I just I love I love that. And what's cool is like they do it visually, but then with the storytelling too, like. We know she's a terrible person because she makes the peasant lady in the foreground get up out of her chair. She's eating dinner to clean her shoes. Like, so it's like they cover it all the bases on this one. And we already established in her room. She's a messy person and she's from the city. So yes, she's got dresses everywhere and is smoking while reading the paper. It's so dangerous on the bed. But that's the problem because I I liked her. Like, I know she's terrible, but maybe it's just because I was like, oh, they're going to try to make us hate her because she's from the city. I thought she was stylish and cool. And maybe she was a terrible person and a brat. But like, 
you gotta give props to like her stylish cool ambition <laughs> yeah and she knows what she wants she's like all right this guy's got some money you should sell your farm what about my wife you should drown her you know like she's, <laughs> i've got a plan she's got ideas this woman plus uh again for her look that that haircut is straight up flea bag you know, yes. like she looks good. Let's yeah. be honest. And people at home, like my mom, Fleabag is a show with someone named Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who's like a really cool person. And that's a cool haircut is what we're saying. Yes. Uh, Fleabag, for those who don't know, is a hollow reed that one can use as a flotation device. Um, yeah, but I, I love I love the the expressionism of all of this. It was one of the things I noticed. Uh, and again, it's so reminiscent of, you know, a cabinet of Dr. Caligari and, you know, again, Metropolis. And you talk about Nosferatu and all that. Um, this seems like a weirdly uh, American story, yet it's also incredibly German because where else could you be like farm to lake to secret forest trolley station and city you know it's it's literally it's almost like the barbie movie in, in that sense you know it's like that yeah. we're, we're gonna we're gonna walk and then a boat and then trolley and here we are this was Murno. this was his first hollywood film right am i yes because he had made several films in germany and this was the first Hollywood film and people at home, something that this director was famous for. So he's a German director that used to work with, um, he had started a film production company and worked with Conrad Veidt, the famous German actor. Um, he introduced a subjective point of view. So that's where the camera sees from the eyes of, of the point of view of a character. So he was like the first person to ever do that on film. And he did it in a film called The Last Laugh. And it was a German film. And then we get that in this film. He does that where we are seeing the man as he's going to meet the woman from the city. And then we transition to we're walking underneath vines as though we're approaching her and we are the man. Mm. Um, so, yeah, he was the first person like to do that, which is crazy. Um, but, yeah, heavily influenced by German expressionism because he's literally from Germany and came to Hollywood to make this picture. And you're right, first Hollywood film. The point of view of uh, the wife in the boat when the husband's going to kill, I it's just, all you see is her looking at his legs and then slowly going up. And even before you get to the face, he like covers it like, oh, I'm not going to be a monster yet. Like I just, yeah. it's, just it's, it's gorgeous. I'm glad you said monster because he does give off a very creature Frankenstein's monster vibe for most of the Always things. Hunched. Yeah. I mean, he's got that kind of lumbering shoulders, you know, I mean, it's very creature-esque. Murnau did um, Nosferatu. That was like one of his first big films and what he's famous for. So it's very reminiscent of like that creature that monster um and then i also wanted to mention he is famous for using visual style to show the character's mental state so i feel like that's a really good example mm. example of that uh i do want to bring in some of the things that janine Appowal said so your minds can be blown um so janine Appowal, people at home i got to hear her speak about this film before i saw it she's a production designer she's famous for catch me if you can pleasantville la confidential the bridges of madison county her credits go on and on she's a fantastic production designer and so some of the things that she pointed out, I mean, she mentioned the title cards, which we've already talked about. She talked about um, the glass designs in the city, how they're both modern and transparent. Um, so she was talking about how the city and the country can be more than one thing. And we see that throughout the film. So it's not just like, like in, we're used to hearing stories about like country life is good, city life is bad, but this shows a little bit of everything. Like the man becomes depressed in the country, 
um, and dreams of like coming out to the city. And we also see like, you know, the woman from the city, she's kind of vampy and wants to dance and have, you know, jazz and do bad things. And that's kind of, I think, what we're used to seeing. But then it shows how like the country can be beautiful, but also the city can be beautiful. It can be a place where you can play. And they both have their bitter and sweet, just like the opening title cards that we were talking about. The city repaired their marriage. That's where the whole fun came out of it. Yeah, I mean, where else are you going to find such an addictive game like throwing balls into a hole to release a pig to slide down a slide? He loved that game. I love that he would not dance. He was like, I am not dancing. I'm going to play this pig game forever. And he would have. It's literally, you know, it's Homer Simpson. It's like, look, the pig is going down the slide. Look, it's going down this life. That's it. That's the whole game. And he just, he wouldn't give it up. It was apparently very good at it. So good that the pig got out. But thank goodness the pig got out so that the wife could finally get the dance, you know? Yes. And then we get the ghost moment with the drunk waiter. We'll get there. I have to talk about the comedic thread in this because when you think of Murnau, you just do not think of comedy. And yet there are at least five set pieces in this that I have to talk about at some point. Comedic moments that have nothing to do with the plot that are just there to be funny. Some some of them are. (laughs) Like, you're like, oh, dang, this still is a great bit, a great gag. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, basically like the city can be fun and playful. You can find yourself there and it can also be like gropey and rude and terrible. Just like, like there's good and bad to every place. The city's not vilified. The country is not vilified. So she was like, that's awesome. Um, she mentioned it's a melodrama, so it's not going to be like this very realistic thing. It's going to play with emotions and feeling the shot of the lady from the city consuming him when he's like thinking about the murder is incredible. She's covering him from all angles. She's superimposed on the screen. Oh, what a gorgeous shot. That was just my note. That was not Janine Appelwald. And totally true, just like everything else. That double exposed one where you see her first wrapping him up with with his arms and then the giant head from above and the little one from below, right? You know, it's, oh God, delicious. Perfection. It consumes him. And you just, when you were saying wrapping up, this time around, I was noticing in the beginning, she's loving him and she wraps him in a blanket and he's asleep and he doesn't see like the love for her. And then when they're on the boat, he wraps her up in a blanket and she doesn't see the love for him. And I'm like, oh my God, the lady from the city, that's her version of wrapping, but there's no blanket because it's not really love. It's only love if there's a blanket is what I took away from this viewing. Yes. Also, she is a sound sleeper. It's ridiculous. To be able to sleep in a boat during a typhoon and she's out. She just, you don't even hear her like, like wake up a little and like, oh, go back to bed. No, she's asleep, fully asleep with wind blowing on her as though it is a hurricane out and asleep with the reeds. Never wakes up in the water. I don't know. You'd think you'd wake up. It doesn't make sense. I was already uh, confused as to why two people on the water can't swim uh, that they both need bull rushes. That was the confusing part for me. You make a great point, but he clearly can swim. He mu- How else would he have gone to that cave? I don't I, know. I mean, the dog can swim. The dog was another savior. Oh. Right, the dog made it, you know, come well, on. Well, that's the thing. All of the animals know what's up in this film, by the way. Animals save the day in this movie. There's mm-hmm. a horse in the beginning when he is yep. putting the bulrushes in the barn. The horse is like, what are you doing? And he's like freaked out by the horse. Oh. I mean, honestly, that horse had scared the crap out of me too. I didn't know it was coming. But it was just yeah. like, I was like, oh my God. And I was like, how did they train that horse to do that? That's a really great 
horse moment because the horse just comes in and out of frame really fast. And you're like, wow, how'd they do that? That was another one that added the sound effect too with the horse popping yep. up too, which mm-hmm. was great. Yeah, they did. It's almost like he made Nosferatu and knew how to scare us. It's almost like that was a thing. So there's that. And then there's a dog that tries to save Janet Gaynor. The dog senses something is off. He is chained to his house. He thinks she might get murdered because he's a dog and he knows. And he jumps and swims. You can't see me, people at home. I'm running like a dog. He jumps and he swims to the boat and she lets him on the boat. And she's like, what's up, dog? And then they take the dog back. And us at home are like, oh man, is he still going to kill her? Even though that that dog was like, I think I like to think the dog threw him a little. And for a classical podcast, a classical film podcast to get in the phrase, what's up, dog? Well done. (laughs) Just have to give you credit there. That's good. Well done. That's good. It's just like another movie we did on this very show. Um, So yeah. And then obviously the pig brings them together too, because the guy isn't going to dance with her. And then the pig gets loose and then they end up in a dance hall. And what are you going to do when you're already in a dance hall and they start playing Midsummer, AKA the peasant dance and you're a peasant. You know, like, what are you going to do? I also enjoy the uh, uh, audience guy who's like trying to push him to dance. He's, he's just like, I'm going to beat the crap out of you, you son of a <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's, uh, he's a violent individual. Very violent. He likes to choke and threaten women. And that guy was like, go ahead, dance. And as soon as he touches him, he's like, he turns around and like gets that serious face. It's like, this guy is, you know. Got a temper. Yeah, he's got a well, I thought I took that moment as like, because they were playing the peasant music. And I feel like he was like, what are you saying? I'm a peasant. So I got to do the peasant dance for you, rich people. That was uh, my what I was getting from that moment. But also he he is a little too violent for his own good. Yes. And especially towards that one man. <laughs> With the knife. knife. Yes. In a public place, he whips out a knife and looks like he's going to slit a man's throat. And you're like, oh, boy. Rain it in, sir. I thought he was just gonna when he took because uh, I, I haven't seen this movie in so long, but I th- when he took the knife out, I thought he was just gonna like you know play with his nails, be like, Oh, look what I can do! But he that was literally threatening, like that was he was threatening him. He slashes the flower out that the man stole from his wife because that guy was hitting on his wife while he was getting his face shaven, and that's how they both know they're gonna be faithful to each other in a face shaving place from the past. For those of you who don't know what a face shaving place is, it is also known to some as a barber shop. In the past, you couldn't like shave yourself. It was hard. You couldn't just buy a Gillette razor. Well, I don't know if I would trust this place. The guy wasn't even looking at him when he was putting the shaving cream on. He's like, I've got paying attention to what's happening. I'm uncomfortable. I was confused by that man in that moment. I was like, does this man want this guy to cheat with this manicurist? I'm really confused about what's happening. Also, like that man, that manicurist, I was also thinking like, She's just trying to make a buck. Like, I don't even think she's doing it. Right, exactly. It's like, you know, like she's the Hooters waitress. It's like, don't get mad at her. She's just being nice. You know, you look great with the most expensive thing. Just leave her. You know, she's not a homewrecker. She's just trying to make some money. But he turns down the manicure and that's how the wife knows he's going to be faithful to her. But then the wife is getting hit on by this super creepy dude who won't really leave her alone. And he steals one of the flowers out of the bouquet and he puts it in his lapel. She has a bouquet and he puts that flower in his lapel. And so that's why the man at the end has the knife and he just cuts the flower out of the buttonhole. But it's pretty intense. And you're like, dang, 
So they both know they're going to be faithful now. There was no charm to that guy hitting on her. That guy was a straight up creeper. Like straight up creeper. Nothing. Just ugh. And she's giving him nothing. And he's like, ooh, she's into me. And she like burns her shoulder and bumps into him. And he's like, oh, no one's ever hit on me harder. Let me double time hit on you. And you're like, ew, gross. And you're also like, girl, get up. You can stand. You have feet. Get up. I don't know. Yeah, but but then they'd have to build a whole new set. Oh, boy. So, yeah, that was that was all that. I'm going to tell you more about what she said, because she said something that I was like, whoa. She said they purposely put in the photography studio, they purposely put a statue without a head um, to represent losing one's head. Like that was an on purpose thing. So the whole gag that they have where they think they've broken the statue and it doesn't have a head, it never had a head the whole time. But um, the idea was like, it represents losing your head. And in the end, he puts a head back on it. And it's like a silly, playful head. And you're like, whoa, Uh, all of that was on purpose. I love that. And then the fishing boat also has a dual meaning. It represents who is being caught. So it's like he takes his wife out in the fishing boat and he like has this plan and he's like ensnared by the woman from the city. Who's the predator? Who's the prey here? And that like it switches. I don't know. All of that was like actually thought out. And I went, whoa, um, they raised the dance hall and lowered the dining area. That was a German inspired thing um, that was supposed to be like a visual that they took from a painting. But I don't know what painting. I don't think there are any famous German painters, are there? No. There's like a couple. No, I don't. Like think Franz Mark, you know, that's, that's literally the only one I can think of. I can I can take two made up German names, put them together, and say it's an artist <laughs> too, Sarah. This isn't a difficult game. <laughs> Otto uh Preminger. Schleisinger. There, there you go. There, how about that? <laughs> Anyone can do this. Um Also, if you look closely, the city street names are taken from New York and London street names. So it could be like any city. So there would be like Waterloo Street. So I I didn't notice it this viewing, but the first time I did, because I saw it on the big screen and they did all of that on purpose. Um, They made the scene in the restaurant. They made his wedding ring extra prominent in a way it wasn't before because he's like rediscovered his marriage. Um, And then the city architecture was based on Bauhaus style work. Very German, but made in Hollywood. Um, the moonlight on the village was based on popular German paintings. Um, she called out the fantasy elements, the train appearing out of nowhere in the country, um, the them being in the city kissing and seeing the country in their heads. Uh, yeah, that was it. That was everything she told me um, that we haven't already talked about. But I thought it was so smart, especially like the statue thing. That's Only great. a production designer could tell you that, I think. You yeah, I, mean? I, I love uh, the Academy Museum is such a great place to see movies. And the theater itself is phenomenal. The sound system's phenomenal. But it really is the speakers they have beforehand because they're not looking for famous people. They're looking for people who actually know what they're talking about and maybe have a little firsthand information. Because when I went to go see 2001... Um, they had one of the production designers there and he was explaining just the effects they used and and again meaning for so many different things why shots were you and it was and then to then hear the whole thing you know without interruption with the overture and everything else it was incredible so big shout out to academy museum well and the, the branches choose the film so each week it's a different branch of the academy so like the production designers chose this specifically to talk about it so that's you know, it's re- it's really special. So if you can do it, I would highly recommend. Um, I do want to tell the people at home about the director, F.W. Murnau. I learned so much about him today that I did not know. He is fascinating. 
Uh, fascinating is what the F stands for. Oh, what does the W stand for? You wise guy. Wise guy. There it is. Fascinating wise guy, Murnau. There it is. Thank you, Alan. So he's German director. Uh, again, we mentioned this was his American debut, but he only made three American movies and one of them is Lost. Most of his films are German. He's famous for Faust, Tartuffe, The Last Laugh. He he was gay. He was like a gay man who had a lover. Uh, he fought in World War One and was captured in a prisoner of war like he was a pow he was uh, in an internment camp um and while he was in the camp he was part of like they created a theater company and he would write screenplays in the prisoner of war camp in world war one his lover died in world war one um which like devastated him and affected the rest of his work um he was really good friends with the artist franz mark which is why i could pull that out of my butt earlier because i just <laughs> read about it um he was a really great director who I wish had done more. Nosferatu and Sunrise are his two most famous works. Um, and I just wish he had made more film. Yeah, well, it, it's hard It's hard to make more films when you die at 43 in a car accident on the PCH. No, tell us more about that. Um, well, I don't I don't know all of the details, but I was like, because I, I was looking at, at certain things about it, you know, and 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 again coming out of like the hollywood babylon era is where all of this is so like there's all this gross excess and you know like to have such a great career in germany and then just start this career yeah. you know three four years in hollywood and then gone i was like wow in a car accident that's not not what you do not what you'd expect but also not that surprising for the time i mean i know this movie didn't do well in the the, the box office but i i mean Academy Award nominations all over the map. So everybody at home, this was nominated for Oscars during the very first Oscars ever. Like 1929, I think they awarded them. And this is the first time Oscars are ever given out. And so the Oscars that this film won are for Best Cinematography. Um, and it, Janet Gaynor won for Best Actress. And she was the first person to ever win for Best Actress. And I think she deserved it. She's fantastic in this film. I have a few notes. What's interesting is that this movie lost to Wings, but it did not actually lose to Wings because they used to have a separate award that was only given out this year. So there used to be two Best Picture awards. It was like Best Picture, but also Best Unique and Artistic Picture. So it was kind of like the Golden huh. Globes where it was like Best Drama, Best Comedy or Musical. Um, but so what ended up happening was this was the only year that they gave out that award. So technically it tied quote unquote with wings, but we don't remember it that way. Like wings gets lauded as like, this was the best picture that year when in fact it was sunrise also technically won best picture, but it never, because they never awarded that award again, it doesn't count. Um, but I think between, I've never seen wings full disclosure, but just seeing this, I think this should have won because it's artistic and gorgeous and i can't believe that it wasn't a box office hit it's so good yeah and also you know like nobody you know wings after paul mccartney left um <laughs> i want to know what won for best title that year that's my favorite academy right. award that's no longer given they actually used to give that out for best title so because, great wow. you know films were silent but yeah this film i think should have been a smash i'm glad we it like has held up and we talk about it to this day but Let's talk about performances. Jeremy, you might have some notes. I like them. I know it's a melodrama. It's from the 20s. I think it feels as good as it could feel for the 20s. Uh, my my only note, and I'm sorry, who who played who played the wife again? 
Janet Gaynor. Janet That's Gaynor. A, I was wait. I was I was like, is it Gloria Gaynor? It's like that can't be it. <laughs> um, uh, no. Janet Gaynor. Uh, she's wonderful in it, but honestly, it's it's really funny. Uh, for the first third of the film, I think we're looking at the top of her head more than her face because when she's playing coy and sad, she's. She's got her chin down and is looking at the floor. So the camera is just getting the top of her head for the most part. Um, and it's so interesting because she has such an expressive face and you do get to see more of it. Like as she, you know, is, is less and less afraid and she is playing, you know, that fear thing at the beginning. But there were a couple of times at the beginning, I was like, I'd like to see what's going on, mm. you know, because she was literally closing herself off from the camera. But I, again, the, the melodrama of it, he's amazing. Um, the woman from the city is amazing. Um, I love all the little parts, the, the, uh, her mother or the maid or whoever that, that character is, who's looking mm -hmm. after the baby, that close up of her crying, uh, uh, at the end when they find her alive and well, it's, I mean, like that honestly got to me. I'm not, yeah. I, I find that especially right now in, in cinema, cause I've like actually been going to the movies more than I have in a long time. There's uh, this almost need to have characters crying on camera as much as possible to kind of, I don't want to say manipulate the audience, but manipulate the audience. But yeah, the, as far as the performances go, you know, especially those little comedic ones too. You know, the 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 dudes in the uh, the barber shop, everybody at the the uh, the carnival. I first want to just like button what you were saying about that woman because I noted that moment too, and I think what was special about it. So the maid is like crying with joy over the fact that um, Janet Gaynor is still alive, mm -hmm. and it feels so realistic. Like yep. it, that style wasn't really done in these films necessarily. And she captured something that could have been on film today in terms of realism, like a beautiful moment. And I agree with you. I felt earlier in the film because this is a melodrama and because it's the style, Janet Gaynor like cries for several scenes and you're kind of like, oh my God, it's not her fault. It's the script. Like the script is beautiful, but it's like to elicit what she is feeling to the audience who this is a new medium. This is what we did back then. These are the choices we made. It is over the top of like him being crazy over dramatic and her being just like sobbing. They do it a lot just to like get the audience to feel. Um, but I, I do think the Janet Gaynor like hiding her face thing. I feel like they purposely gave her certain close-ups to show us exactly how she felt. And she was so good at showing us how she felt with her face. Mm. So I actually wonder if that was like a director choice of like, because we're not supposed to totally love you yet, we're hiding you and we're hiding you behind this like super old fashioned hairstyle that looks so ugly and is terrible. Also, you're a blonde and the city girl has to be a brunette and she has to be like, cool, short hair, Bob, vampy. And you have to be like, I'm old world and old school. And you can tell by my braids and my hair that covers my ears. So I wanted to point out all those choices because I feel like that's part of all of that too. I know we, we don't completely fall in love with her yet because of all that but like <laughs> i think like there's that shot of her just feeding the chickens like in that wide in the in the in the doorway and she's just like brightly lit and you're like oh oh so she's she's doing all the work for this jerk she cooks for him and he leaves in the middle of dinner she like goes to get the dish and he's gone and you're like dude you think she's not going to notice? What's wrong with you? Yeah, she should leave him. He's, she's too good for him. He's just so handsome. That's the sense that you get is that he is so handsome that women cannot resist him. And like, what are you going to do? The hair is great. He is super charming and handsome. He can th he can throw a ball through a hole. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what more do you want? Gainer, like her 
all the times in the boat, like when she, you, when you just those it's a subtle looks, which again, I, I don't remember seeing a lot in silent films of just like, just like a little glance of like, just a hope is my husband still there. It's just like, oh God. Well, and then there's the part, like they're in the boat and she sees that he's upset and she like is trying to play with him and he like won't be receptive. And she's kind of like, ah, oh. and then she has that whole, it, the shot goes on a little too long in my opinion of when he gets out of the boat to put the dog back. And she has the whole like inner monologue that you can, they clearly told her, you know, you can see it on her face of like, this is unusual. No, it's fine. Everything's fine. Oh, but things don't feel fine. like you see that whole, there's like a thought process of like, you see the whole thing on her face and you know, it's a silent yeah. film. They told yeah. her to do that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I love everybody's performances in this. I think it's pretty solid, especially for the time. And um, I could tell we were all chomping at the bit to talk about the comedy. So I will leave it to you all to point out these beautiful, delicious comedy moments that we got. Yes. And before we do, for those listening at home, uh, the actual phrase is champing at the bit. For those who don't know it, chomping at the bit is something that we say now, but champing is actually the riding term, which means to strain against, because the bit is that piece that goes in the horse's mouth and you pull back on it. This is for my father. My father used to freak out and he was like, it's actually champing. And I'm like, dad, no one gives a shit. I, I didn't know that. That's right. I say chomping at the bit. Yes, that's, that's what, because, you know, right. But it's it's actually champing, which is really interesting. I still might say chomping. That's fine, because ch chomping is a thing people know, and champing is, you know, it's like, where's my horse? I don't have one. Stop. So, everybody, welcome back. We just took a tiny little break for a second, and we are back on the show. We were going to talk about comedy moments before the break, but during the break, Jeremy and I learned a little bit uh, of information that we'd like to share with people at home about F.W. Murnau, the director of this picture. So, Jeremy, mm -hmm. would you like to dive in and share with us what we all learned here? Sure. So the crazy thing is, is the way he died is he was driving along the Pacific Coast Highway and his, he had a driver. His, uh, he had a driver and his car swerved out of the way of an oncoming truck and hit the embankment and both people were thrown out he hit his head and then he was brought to uh what was uh to the hospital and he died he died the next day and then here's the extra part yeah this is just a little addendum his skull was stolen what yeah in 20 yes yes in 2015 so his body was shipped back to germany and it was in like a special graveyard there i don't know but somebody broke into the grave and stole his skull and it is missing to this day. And they said that there are wax drippings all around the area. So they think someone was doing some sort of like candlelit ceremony or something. And his skull has never been recovered. It's still missing. What? Isn't that crazy? What? <laughs> and he died. So he died in 1931, a week before his final movie came out. And that's why we don't have any more films of his. And Jeremy mentioned earlier, he died at 43. He was so young. But how we just we found that out. We were like, we found it out separately, it came back together. And we we're like, we can't talk about this yet. Alan isn't here yet. We have to save it for Alan. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's huge. Oh, holy <laughs> crap. Well, I'm glad you did. Thank you for the patience. Uh, but it. Oh, wow. Yeah. So just sit, sit in that. So that's a crazy yes. story about was what it happened. a cult. Was it just a few people that were like, oh, this is going to work like they were going to bring the Nosferatu director back. Wow. The world will never know. Could be that they just needed light as they stole his skull. <laughs> you oh, know? God. Oh, wow. It's just a lot. You're like, wow, who would do that? That's absolutely insane. It was um, me. So yeah. <laughs> oh, <definitely. laughs> 
Um, during our little break, I also learned a little bit about Janet Gaynor that I would like to share with you all. So Janet Gaynor was a famous silent film actress in her day. She won three Oscars uh, for best actress. She won for this film, um, Sunrise. She won for Seventh Heaven and she won for Street Angel. She also is in A Star is Born. So she did do transitions into talking films. She was in the very first A Star is Born, which is a, you know, a great melodrama. Um, And I actually feel like that's maybe what she's most known for, even besides this. Uh, To me, she gives off Olivia de Havilland vibes. So if you're an Olivia de Havilland fan, I think you Mm. would be a Janet Gaynor fan. Yes. Um, To have like a certain expressiveness and like sweetness about them. We believe that she was bisexual. Um, and she ended up marrying a costume designer, the, the famous costume designer, Adrian, who who was gay and they had a child together. Um, and she reportedly like they each had relationships outside their marriage, but were really good friends and like happy together. So those were like kind of the interesting things about her that live on the Internet. Um, mainly, she was just like an actress who worked and then she became an oil painter in her later years. Oh, and she also did like television. She she worked throughout her life. Um But yeah, she became an oil painter in the 50s and she was apparently very accomplished. And she died tragically um, in 1982. So in 1982, she was in a car crash. She was in a taxi that was hit by a drunk driver. And then two years later, she died of the injuries that were sustained during that accident. So she lived for a while after the accident, but because of that accident, that was what caused her passing. Two years. Yeah. So anyway, that was Janet Gaynor, but she sounded like a pretty lovely person and had a cool life. And I just love that she was like bisexual and there are like relationships with women that are listed on her site. Live your best life. I'm I'm happy that you can do what you want to do in a time when you were not really allowed to do that publicly. Well, the the 20s were pretty hip, you know. (laughs) They had the booze, the jazz and liquor. In in a lot of ways, the 20s seemed to be a lot more tolerant than the 20s. Oh, see what he did there, the 2020s. All right, so now that we've learned all of these new things, this is what we learned in the break. Let's talk about your favorite comedy moments. Let's dive in. Yes, let's seamlessly transition from <laughs> stolen skull and bisexuality into our favorite comedy moments. This is how I like to do things. Um, so I don't know. I made, yes, I made a list, Alan. So I don't know if you did. So I'm going to do my list and you can chime in uh, and please everyone chime in. But uh, but both of you uh, check me if I'm missing anything. The first time I saw something funny in a, in a Murnava film, I was like, well, this is, this is new. <laughs> you know, I mean, my favorite is the first, the first comedy bit, as far as I can tell is after because the all of the the beginning stuff it's either it's lovey-dovey at the top and then it's just mm-hmm. misery sell the cow to the money lenders and 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 drowned your wife um so not as funny in a modern context uh but when they do the the um when they finally come out of the church and everything is great and we have that great uh shot of them looking at each other while walking through the crazy traffic which is so fantastic also, shout out to Janet Gaynor looking straight up in his face and not tripping on those steps in her dress. I was like, that is some actor skill that we do not shout out. Actor skill. Some stage work right there. That's what that is. Yeah. Um, but I love it when they when they finally and it dissolves to the, the garden and they're kissing and then they come to and all of the cars have stopped and the one bicyclist has gone has run straight into the back of the truck. And we go from this idyllic moment to to like in, in the middle of a city, you know, like, hey, stop kissing in the road, you mook. You know, what what's the matter? You, you know, just everyone's screeching. I just 
just love that moment. All right, so that that I think is the first like legit comedic beat in the film. Agreed. Um, and then we go into the um uh, barbershop, which uh also has. Like again, has some tension. Like, will will the manicurist <laughs> steal him away? Right? Will this disgusting man with most of a mustache steal her away? Right? Like, so, we, right? So we get those two. Um, but we do get that great moment of the the hairdressers or the the barbers. Like again, you know, like you can see even back then they're clearly playing a type. <laughs> Um, but when he's massaging his face with the soap and, and, and she goes, do you want the, the high shine? And he goes, no, <laughs> yeah. and, and the soapy hand goes in his mouth and then he's like, oh, sorry. And wipes it out afterwards. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's funny too. Right? Like yeah. great comedic bit, you know, soap in the mouth. Um, and it kind of lets the air out of that moment because she instantly yeah. then relaxes and smiles and, and, you know, cause he comes over, you know, and then takes care of it all. Um, uh, then after that, we have the wonderful sequence in the mm. photography studio with uh, not realizing that the man is looking at them first off through the camera. It's like, oh, he's not here. We can we can kiss. You know? It's just like it would be the modern equivalent of somebody holding their phone up in front of their eyes and people being like, oh, he can't see us. They're from the country. They don't understand the technology. <laughs> They've never had their photo taken before. But also, I do want to shout out this thing in that moment. We also, from a cool camera perspective, get to see what the, the photographer is seeing through the camera. So we see them upside down through yeah. his camera and it's really cool. And it, we see him deciding to be like, I'm going to take a shot of them kissing because they're so <laughs> in love. They don't even know I'm here underneath this camera. You're right. He also could develop it faster than any other photographer back then. He like just gave it to yeah. him. Like 10 right. later. The quick shots. Wait a minute. I'm printing it up. Hold on. I imagine you're going to get to the fun comedic beat of them knocking over the statue. Yes. This is like clearly a set piece. Like the other two are just beats. This is a set piece. They're going to go into the thing. We get the loving picture of them doing this, but here's this thing. We've got the setup of the the statue in the back that doesn't have a head, but somehow has a pin on the top to hold yeah. something. Weird. Um, so we have this wonderful thing with, with her taking the fruit and him like, no, don't, the fruit's not for eating. <laughs> what are you doing? Um, and then he knocks the thing over and we get this great moment of, you know, uh, um, you know, the Goonies. Uh, where the penis falls off of the the David statue. It's my mom's favorite part. Um, So they put it back up and uh, they decide, he decides, you know, to shield it with his body, but then replace it with something. So he goes for one of the round objects on, on the couch and chooses this ball that somehow when you squeeze it, a tongue pops out. It's so disturbing. Did they have stress balls back then? Here's what I think. This is my assessment. He takes children's and baby photographs in there. Oh, this is a child's uh, toy. There it that is. they have put on top. You're welcome. Yes. Yes, to squeeze it and to entertain the child. Yes, yes. That's what I thought the headless statue was for. So, so I mean, again, and it's a great bit, and you can tell it's a comedic set piece because we get that 10-second shot of the photographer realizing what's happened after while doing the slowest eyebrow raise you've ever seen in your life. And I think I clocked it at a solid six seconds of just his eyebrow going up. And you know he's funny because he has a terrible haircut. 
They gave him a very silly, very bad haircut. And that's how you know he's funny. Yes, I believe it's called The Shemp. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that actually took me out of the movie for like a split second. I was like, what, 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 why, why is this happening? It's, it's just, it's so great. And so like they run away and they get their picture and then we get the reveal of them kissing and, ooh, and he puts it close to his heart. It's great. So now we get to um, the, the showpiece comedic moment of the entire film, the chasing of the pig followed by ghost pig which i don't understand so we go into the restaurant the pig makes its way into the restaurant and into the back we get this bit with this over the top cartoony drunk waiter who is just a delight i mean like literally does the pursing the lips before grabbing the bottle and fluttering the eyes as he's drinking it's so perfectly over the top the the specificity is amazing and he drinks the wine uh you know and he throws the, the rag on the floor and the pig comes in he doesn't see it and the pig goes under the sheet or the, the napkin or the tablecloth or whatever it is and that's when he sees it and then freaks out drops the bottle and runs away which is when the pig starts drinking it and again these shots go on a very long time and i always want to put myself back in like the, the the studio executive or the you know like the the theater owners like you know like more with the pig it's like we don't need eight seconds with the pig the people love the pig they love the pig that's all they want when i love that he's like I know I've been drinking too much. There's a tiny ghost and that sheet is moving. Like that's in his brain. Oh no. And the bottle doesn't break. The bottle drops on the ground and is perfectly in place. The thing I was concerned about was how they did the pig drinking. What it looked like to me. So it looks like everybody at home, the pig starts drinking the wine from the floor and appears to be drunk. And you think the pig is drunk because they show his eyeballs drooping a little bit Mm -hmm. and he's slipping. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh no, they must've put like a bunch of stuff on that floor that this poor pig is slipping on. I was worried about the animal and I was worried about the animal's treatment, but then I was worried that the animal was going to get poisoned because I was like, oh my God, if they put this slippy stuff on the floor, but he's also still drinking it, what is happening? And did this pig just like die immediately after shooting? Oh no, it's such a cute little piglet. Welcome to the roaring twenties. I mean, they probably almost killed a few people on this. I don't think they're going to worry about, you know. What I think they did to make it slide around, because there's one or two points where you kind of see the, the, the camera tilt a little bit. I think they might have had a tilting floor. Mm. With, oh. with a stationary camera on it to make it look like the pig was sliding because there was a point where I was like, is it on a boat? Because that's not just slipping. That's like somebody like moving the thing around you. Ah. So as far as that entered into my head as a possibility. Well, for people that would build a new set for every shot, that is something that they might do. I wouldn't put it past them. I uh, Yeah, even, you know, uh, raising an actual pig from the dead for the ghost <laughs> pig or whatever it was moment. Did anybody check that? pig's grave if somebody took its skull because oh, okay i wrote another screenplay about this <laughs> um it's babe three ghost in the city it's well it's pig in the ghost in the city got it um so uh so okay so so we get the whole we get the whole pig ghost bit which is great because again we get this over the top comedic character we're coming back to the uh uh, Janet Gaynor getting drunk so quickly off of a glass of wine outside. It was not intended to be as comedic as it was, uh, but there's a moment before that that I thought was absolutely the funniest thing ever. It's when the two of them have drank a little and they're sitting there and they're totally blissed out and the cherubs are circling around them. 
is this idyllic moment with the love cherubs and they're swooping down and hang, which is instantly broken by the waiter coming and going, your check. Yeah. Like literally he comes into his like yeah. check, here it is. And he looks in his yeah. little purse and she looks in her little purse. But I love that moment. You know, it's just like, oh, we're having such a wonderful time. Check, please. Uh, and then we get at the very, very end, uh, we get the uh, the fisherman who finds the wife who has this wonderful little moment where he's cozying up to the mom mm-hmm. maid, whoever this is character. It's called where, the maid in the... Yes, the oh, IMDb. the maid, yes, yes, the maid, yes. Uh, uh, and, and is cozying up to her trying to, uh, trying to get another uh, kiss in the face. But we did not talk about the straps. Yes, so uh, during the dance sequence, uh, after the drunk pig, <laughs> where we get uh, them doing the, the dance where he almost punches the guy in the face again. He's clearly, clearly a violent man and she should not be with him. Um, there's uh, the everyone's watching them do this dance and there's a woman whose uh, shoulder straps keep falling off of her dress and there is a very fussy man next to her no 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 idea what their relationship is who keeps putting the straps back up and he is clearly getting very mad at the woman <laughs> for not fitting this garment better I don't understand like so he keeps doing this it happens about six times until he just gets fed up and then pulls them both down at which point she slaps him in the face i did enjoy though every literally every time he picked the strap up she turned around and go thank you thank you uh but yeah it's it's such an interesting it's such an interesting weird little like little set piece of a moment uh because we cannot watch these two people do this peasant dance uninterrupted for two minutes also i do want to shout out to the peasant dance because that has some real choreo oh, they yeah. really did it it's like extensive choreography and i was thinking like how did they have the time to learn this and when did they learn this dance because it's a lot it goes on for a long time it's really unique it's it looks like a peasant dance but it's like uh complicated it's complex there's a lot of parts to and it you got the sense that this guy was afraid of dancing and wanted like no i can't go on the dance floor because i can't dance and then just immediately he just knew the dance he crushes it it's great and then he picks her up at the end and spins her around and you're like ah this is really sweet um so like before we head out there are some details that i just wanted to like shout out about this film one, I wanted to mention that like all of those peasant set things on the river, that's Lake Arrowhead. And they really like built out a Bavarian village to be on the set there. But that's Lake Arrowhead. Isn't that cool? That's so Did awesome. Did they take the village down? Because that'd be amazing if they just left it. I wish they had left it. They 100% yeah. took the village down. If, if it was still there, that would be my shire. Those houses were really pretty. I don't think they were real houses. I think they were facades, but still. And then I wanted to shout out... Uh, something I was noticing this time is that the bells were constantly saving them. So like every time a bell was heard, a situation was altered or changed for the better. So like the first time we hear the bells in the distance, it's when he's about to murder his wife and he hears the bells and that like brings him back into his body. And he's like, I can't kill her. What am I doing? So that's the first time. The second time it's when they're at the church um, and the bells are ringing and it's like, he says, will you forgive me? And they, she forgives him and they decide to love each other again. Um, and I wrote down the third time, but I don't have it here. Do you off the top of your head remember the third? Was there's it, a third bell. Was it when she was found? Did they go off? What? Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. Right. There you go. Isn't it that it? Yeah. I couldn't remember. I wrote it down and it's in my notes somewhere, but I was like, oh, the bells mean good things happen and change is coming. And I don't know specifically what the bells represent. I just noticed that and thought it was cool. Um, 
And then also I, what I noticed this time that I loved is there's a moment early in the film when he's kissing the woman from the city and the world around them becomes the city. So they're in the country physically, but then like superimposed over the background is like what the city looks like and the thrill of the city and dancing and all these cool things. Right. And then they kiss. And then later in the film, when he's in the city with his wife, they kiss and they're physically in the city, but the country is all around them. And so I just really loved the full circle of that. I wanted to talk about the camera work really quick, which is excellent. But something I noticed a lot this time was, and I was wondering if it was happening on your end, because I don't remember from the first time I saw it. This could have just been like the print that I was watching in terms of how they shot this print. Were you guys noticing like a throbbing in the lighting and like a watery effect behind those early scenes when he's in the country? Were you guys feeling that? Or I was like, was this just the quality of the print? And maybe it was like warped or something. Because to me, it felt like it was the light was like throbbing when he was in turmoil. And I went, whoa, that's incredible. I didn't I didn't notice any of that on my version, but that's not to say that my print that I saw probably might not have been good either. I don't know. I just had to ask because I was like, ah, oh, I was noticing it. So what did you see anything like that, Jeremy? I can't think of anything specific, but I also noticed just so many camera tricks and, and techniques, you know, it's like when like the, when he wakes up in the bed and he's looking over there and he sees the reeds in her bed and then the water over him and he slowly disappears as the water takes over, you know, like, so it, it does, it does have that watery ethereal quality. It's constantly sort of like fading in and out of reality. Um, yeah. yeah. And just, to, I had to point one thing out in that, in that sequence when they're lying down in the country and she's painting the, come with me to the city. And we see all that stuff, the use of the models in that to like represent the cityscapes with the cars dar darting back and forth yeah. and coming down there. You know, like those were all like practical models and like the, the work and time that just went into those things alone was, was just uh, astounding, you know, even walking into the carnival where you see the whatever plane thing spinning you're like okay but that's i was actually even like now like i know it's a perspective thing but how, how the hell yeah. like what? this is so good it's incredible yeah and specifically for that one alan i was like well i can tell that the big the spinning things and the tram thing aren't right. real and the back of the of the a roller coaster but when it comes around the corner towards the camera i'm like are there people in that the spinning plane thing, like, it looked also like there were people in those. Like, I, I, I don't know how the hell they did it. You know? Do you think it was, like, each done separately and put together with Matt Effect? Like, as a Matt yeah. Effect? It could have been. I mean, because they're, they're, they're playing with exposures all over the yeah. place. So maybe they came up with some way to do it. I was just amazed because... Uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, you know, like the, the, again, it's that flawless mixture of, of things that aren't real with things that are, and it does create this very surrealist city that exists. And the technical skill behind all of it, all of the things they can include in one shot, the fireworks too, just all of these technical things that they've woven together in 1927, when we're first figuring out how to do all of this, it's, it's incredibly cool and very modern and very... The technique of this is like stunning. This film is a gorgeous film. It did not have to be this wonderful. And it it truly is. It's, I mean, it's a masterpiece. It is. I, I, I'm still baffled that it has all this beautiful imagery. And again, just just the genre shifts uh, in this from, from again, they'll get the, yeah. the monster, the darkness to the rom-com, back to the melodrama. Like, I just... 
When you can make that work, uh, congratulations, you have thoroughly impressed me. Well, because you think it's going to be about one thing. Like, you think like, uh oh, this is going to be a murder film, like about him killing his wife. That's not what this is. I think to me, the message is like, one, be careful what you wish for. Because in the beginning, he's like, I wish my wife would die. And then when the end, when she, he thinks she has, he's completely devastated. But it, to me, it's like, appreciate what you have. And uh, the simple things, you know, appreciate the simple things in your life, but also life can be bitter and sweet and it will be bitter and sweet, but like enjoy the sweet moments and look for the sweet moments is kind of like, I don't know, that's what I take from it. And that's super universal. And again, I said this earlier, but I love that they don't necessarily pit the city against the country. It's like, you can have sweet and bitter in both and you can find like what makes you happy in both. Um, but yeah, enjoy, enjoy the simple things and appreciate what you have. That's the message of Sunrise, the song of two humans. When you can see the subtitles and stuff, I still love the fact that there's also that, again, that worry, like, okay, everybody in the city is bad. Everybody in the city is bad. When they go to the city, like, okay, it had nothing to do with the city. Yeah, it had nothing to do with the city, just the woman from the city. Well, really, though, the the, the husband is really the, the villain in this movie, what he's thinking about. Yeah, although that's also what's cool about it in my perspective. Like, we're going to get to the modern lens, and I think um, something that's cool about it is that it has two female protagonists and one male protagonist, because all the other films we were naming, no female protagonists, really. Mm. I mean, Metropolis, mm. sort of. Like, yeah. so it's really cool that we have two female protagonists in this, and like one of them is kind of the villain, but the main guy is kind of the villain too. So we're moving on to the modern lens portion of this show. What holds up today? What does not hold up today? Let's start up with what does not hold up today. Um, we were just kind of talking about it. Like super cool that there are two main roles for women in this. Not really cool. The stereotypes that they have to fall into and the rivals, the blonde versus the brunette. They're not painted in the most complex terms. Like uh, Janet Gaynor is very much a wife and homemaker and is perfect and good. And has blonde hair, <laughs> you know, like there's definitely a stereotype we're fitting in there. Yeah, the bad, the bad stuff, a lot of violence towards women in uh, in a lot of ways, you know, gonna gonna start off. Let's choke uh, both women who are yeah. important. Like that's that was right up there at the beginning, um, which is which is pretty awful. Oh, and his not having any complicitness in his own affair. Like oh, it's like all. the women lure him to them. It's not his fault. He is but a lowly man. And I'm like, no, 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 no. He is right. responsible for his actions. He is making a choice. This is kind of the same thing when I <laughs> rewatched Fatal Attraction a couple months ago. Like, wait, why are we, why are we on his side? He's almost pictured as like an addict. You know what I mean? Ooh, yeah. Like, the, like this, this woman is an addiction, so it isn't his fault, right? You know, like he can't, he can't focus, and it's again, no, no responsibility at all. I, I love that moment, and again, like this is a kind of going back to the comedic thing as well. Like when they, when she's finally happy when he's taking her on the boat trip, and she's like getting ready to go, and there's a point where I'm like, did he like say to her, it's like, don't forget to wear all your heaviest woolen clothing, <laughs> you know? Like she's putting on a coat, a hat, like two skirts. I was like, you know, it's like, don't you don't forget your cement shoes that I made you. Well, because those are her fancy clothes. Back in the day, they're like, what are your fanciest clothes? Your biggest ones that weigh a lot. What what has lead sewn inside of it? 
Um, yeah. So, and, and like one of the other things that, you know, you can kind of see that is like, even when they get to the wedding, uh, when they, you know, the, the priest is saying like, even though she's young and inexperienced, you must guide her man. Right. You know, and you're like, this is all right. This is problematic for a number of reasons. But all I could think was, oh, okay. This, this old man must be marrying this 15, 16 year old. And this really even creepier than I, yeah. Yeah, well, because again, that was the only way to like have safety as a woman in the day. Like that was the only job you could get really was to be someone's wife. Like you could be other things. You could be a maid or a secretary and always be subordinate. Like there was no career. So getting married was your career. Oh God. That being said though, it is kind of badass. I know they meant it to be a bad thing in this film, but I thought it was really cool how when he was with the woman from the city and they were like kissing, she was always on top. She was always the one that was like, she was the dominant figure kind of. She was the one embracing him. And so I know we are supposed to be like, oh no, that's bad. I know from the past we're supposed to feel that way, but watching it now, I'm like, that's really cool. That's really cool to see. And that's a really cool image. And I like it. <laughs> so I only had one more thing. It's it's really just about, um, you know, like it's it's about him. It's about his temper, right? Like you see him get way too angry at that one guy. And like, yeah, he gives him a bit of a shove, but like he turns around with that, that, that crazy focus, like, I'm going to strangle you, Anger, which we see him do earlier and then later. Um, and, like, and, and, and again, that's his response to his wife drowning. Well, I'll kill another woman, you know? Like, that's, that's the clear solution here. I'll murder this woman. Wasn't he saved by the bell there, too? No, that was saved by the call. They were saved by the call, not the bell. There. Yes, Never mind. no, Saved by the Bell was a television show in the 80s <laughs> for those and has nothing to do with this. No, but it's true. His anger is like a real thing because we're supposed yeah. to uh, applaud it later. Like when he turns against the man who's hitting on his wife, we're supposed to be like, yes, good job being angry. Or like, like I think we're supposed to think it's okay at certain points, but he very much has a violent temper. Like I'm going to kill you temper. That's a little scary. And I, I think we were supposed to think it was masculine and cool back then. And I don't know. It's a little, it's a lot. I do also want to add for the modern lens. There are no people of color in this film. It is all white people in the twenties, all cis straight white people. Well, there are those there are those couple of guys in the barber shop, maybe True. not. You're not sure. Yes. Yeah. Um, I did write down, is the pig okay? We don't know about the animal treatment on the set. Yeah. Several animals on the set. We don't know how they were well, treated. Um no. the this is very silly. Uh, but the she should wake up faster. That's we talked about this earlier, and it was driving <laughs> me nuts that Janet Gaynor does not wake up. I was like, no. <laughs> Come on, no one can sleep through this. This is insane. Modern lens. Narcolepsy. <laughs> My favorite thing, it's like, uh, you know, like any bad acting stuff is like just the best stuff in the world comedically. And when you like see an actor trying to sleep while like wind and water is pushing their face, yes. and you see them like visibly flinching as they're trying to remain asleep. You can see you're like spitting like the water out of the, no, I'm asleep. Yeah, it was terrible. So yeah, that was hard. Um, and I did write as a big modern lens, hey, don't cheat on your wife or try to kill her. That's just a modern lens noticing thing. Just maybe don't do that. I don't know. Um, some lingering questions I had too, just not modern lens related. I was sad that they lost that picture of themselves in the sea. Yeah. Because, you know, it's probably gone forever and ruined. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's a bummer uh, that you lost that. Yeah. And then. But it's art. It's forever captured within their love at this point. It is. It's like the, in Titanic. It's like the the diamond that goes, you know, it's just like I that. would have jumped in after that thing so goddamn fast. Are you kidding me? Heart of the ocean. 
So before the big storm, we see a raft with people dancing on it and a fire. Oh, yeah. And then we never see them again. And I so wondered what happened to them during the storm. And I can't imagine it was good. What we couldn't hear was them yelling, help, help, our boat is on fire. They had everything on that raft. A band, musicians, a fire. They had a bonfire on a raft. With dancing. I think we all know what happened, don't we? I mean. They they might have died. They might have died. Or they floated on those logs. We don't know. They had so many bulrushes, like they're fine. For those of you listening at home, uh, bulrushes are a performing arts family that did mostly aquatic work. If you could have seen the bulrushes, you had it made. I was just always bothered by this the sweet wife being that oblivious to everything going on. And her being so childlike and naive. And you're like, oh, that's a little distressing. And and for me as a city kid, I lament the fact that we do not have a effective public transit system with trolley cars that I can jump on and off of. I'm serious. In every shot, you're like, you see these trolley cars and you're like, that's so efficient. Look at that. What a brilliant way to live. I If I could live like they live, like on a beautiful lake and just hop on a train and be in the city in 10 minutes, you can bet that that's where I would live. You get the best of all the worlds. And the trolley was still running late at night. You know, it was just there waiting for them. Yeah. I will say their car and foot traffic was a little to be desired. Yeah, they did not have any street signage. There was no um, lights guiding traffic. But uh, things that do hold up, though, uh, real quick, is just the uh, production design and cinematography. Like, I loved all the shots. Uh, and I, anytime I'm going to use practical effects, I always think it looks better and it's cooler and i don't see a lot of movies that do genre mixes so i i'm always a fan and you're right yeah the production design i think like the universality and message of the story still hold up and just yeah it's just such a cool film that can still move you almost a hundred years later not a word is spoken and yet we all felt what they were feeling or you know i i was moved by what they were feeling um oh just one more question i was trying to figure out what name they were shouting there's a part where he's shouting for his wife And then there's a part where the maid shouts something and I couldn't, I was trying to lip read and see what they were saying. And it didn't look like um, an English name. I was getting like Adra. That's what it looked like he was shouting. But then it looked like the wife or the maid was shouting like Isa. And I was like, oh, whose names are the, I don't know. Yeah, it was definitely a vowel, a consonant and a vowel. That's all I knew. Yeah. I was just trying to figure it out. Um, So do we we have anything else before I go into the double feature? Oh yeah. In the storm. Again, not to nitpick and be mean about this, but when he loses one oar and continues to oar with the one oar, that's a circle, right? Thank you, Alan. Like, you got it. I'm like, I'm not much of a boatist, um, but uh, I'm fairly certain if you only have the one oar on one side, you're not going in any one direction. She tried to stop him because she was hugging him. I think she was like, please, you're using one oar. I'm going to hug you so that you yes. stop. They were clinging to one another in desperation at that point, right? Because we all know that the, the best way to not drown is to struggle. And I love that the bullrushes he was going to use to kill her. Ended up saving her. They ended up saving her. So I guess it was good that he was going to kill her oh no no that doesn't seem right no 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 no, no. In, in a perfect world they would have just gone on the boat ride and she would have died <laughs> oh no in a perfect world life jackets would have been invented hey right there it is yes perfect world the trolley goes right through the little village they have. that's true 
Well, there we go. We did it. Um, so I wanted to move us into the double feature portion of this show. If you liked this film, here are some other films to check out. I'm going to be very honest with you. This is not my genre, my area of film. I don't know a lot about silent film. But in my research, I found Seventh Heaven seems to be quite a good film to watch with this. That's what people say. It's apparently very life-affirming. Janet Gaynor also stars in it and won a Best Actress Oscar for it. Um, I feel like Nosferatu would be cool to check out because it's the same director earlier in his career. Plus, there are moments of like a little bit of horror in here. You'll get a lot of hunching in that one, too. A so. lot of hunching. A lot of hunching. Um, and then Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, another great German expressionism film to check out. Flesh and the Devil was written. Oh, we didn't mention the writers, but Carl Mayer is one of the writers. And so are Herman Suderman and Catherine Hilliker, who also did the title cards. So Catherine Hilliker also helped write Seventh Heaven and Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And so did Carl Mayer. Um, and then Herman Suderman wrote Flesh and the Devil. So those are other films to check out. A Star is Born for Janet Gaynor. She's, you know, the OG in that. Um, City Girl, another uh, Murna film that came out after this. And then obviously... Babe, Pig in the City, the 1999 <laughs> classic about a pig who's lost in, you know, New York City. I think that would really be a great double feature with this. Do you all have any double features that you'd like to add? I, I definitely want to echo uh, Nosferatu because it is his most popular film uh, and also has great lore behind it. So um, if you really want to see the beginning of a fantastic horror film, and he does invent camera techniques he's doing like he uses uh, a sped up motion uh in that one as like he uses the slow motion to show the pig being drunk in this one so uh, uh nosferatu is a fantastic recommendation as well as uh, caligari because it is the most expressionist of probably all the films of that era not just from the design standpoint and i mean total design makeup costume set everything uh it also is the the most surrealist as far as story is concerned so you can kind of see uh, the influences here and even acting honestly for that one absolutely for things like this a great double feature i think would be is something that shows a little bit of of behind the scenes of what silent filmmaking is like i i think there are aspects of singing in the rain that sort of capitalize on that you know again the the how did the hollywood machine work a hundred years ago is always an interesting story um so how can people find you uh outside of this show well, first off, I think the two of us are going to say, uh, for anybody listening, uh, SAG-AFTRA, uh, our union, as well as the WGA, the Writers Guild, are on strike uh, for fair wages and protection against technology and assurances and things like that. Uh, I can tell you personally, uh, just to hijack this segment for a second, I've been working professionally for a little over 20 years, and what I started making as far as... Uh, TV and film was concerned is almost exactly the same amount as I am making today. And residuals are the things that allow um, uh, working actors, you know, the ones who, uh, you know, aren't on set every day or working 10 months out of the year, uh, allow them to actually do what they love and get to auditions and do a good job. So um, we are not going to pimp any of the things that the studio, so we're going to do our own stuff of which I know Alan is doing a ton of, and I am not, so I'm going to go real quick. Um, I am working at uh, Brain Citizens Brigade Theater. I've got a show coming up called The Sound of Silence that will be at the end of 
August uh, at the Franklin Space. I am uh, uh, on all of the TikTok, Insta, books of face, and I am the same in all of them. I am Jeremy Guskin, all one word, and it's spelled exactly the way it sounds. Uh, please support SAG-AFTRA and the WGA. Well, I was gonna, uh, you could find me on TikTok because, yes, I make my own little indie stuff. Uh, it's at Alan Rickert, A-L-L-E-N-R-U-E-C-K-E-R-T. Um, to support independent filmmakers that are not with the big uh, uh, studios, uh, my friend, uh, director friend Katie Chalk just uh, shot this short called Survive By that I was fortunate enough to be in and the script was incredible. So whenever that comes out, uh, please do take a look. Mitch uh, Yapko, another friend of mine, he's got a, a French New Wave style film that he made called Un, Un Home and a Lady. Uh, that I edited that that one is also uh, that one's worth a watch when that comes out. It's going to the festival circuit right now. And Mitch has been on the show. Yeah. <laughs> He's been a guest on the show. So people at home know him. <laughs> well, okay. So people at home, one, please go watch this movie. It is absolutely gorgeous and wonderful. We cannot stress it enough. Go watch the movie. Um, but thank you both for being here. This was a lovely conversation. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me again. I love doing this one. And, I, and I'd never seen this movie before, so thank you. I, I like Again, I was so happy to get to rewatch it. I haven't seen this movie in two decades, so it, just wow. rewatching it, I was like, it's still incredible. Truly an incredible film. So yeah, go check it out. Thank you both for being here, and we will see you all next time on Talk Classic to Me. You have been listening to Talk Classic to Me with Sarah Greenfield. That's me! My guests this week were Jeremy Guskin and Alan Rickert. They will be featured on our Instagram page. If you enjoyed our show, please introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe and maybe even find us on Spotify for Podcasters, which was Anchor.fm. You can still find us on Anchor.fm. It's Spotify for Podcasters. They're the same thing to become a contributing member. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Talk Classic to Me for some awesome content and to find out what's coming up next. Thanks for listening.